Welcome to Journaling with Nature, the podcast for those who want to turn curiosity into wonder, a pencil sketch into a rabbit hole of discovery, a moment of stillness into a life full of joy. I'm your host, Bethan Burton. Let's open the pages of our nature journals and explore this world together. Hello, this is episode 33. I'm very excited to share today's episode with you. I'm speaking with someone who I deeply admire and who's been a really important part of my creative journey. He's been a huge inspiration to me and I feel very, very lucky to have had the chance to chat with him for this podcast. I'm speaking with Danny Gregory. Danny has many different strings to his creative and professional bow. He is, among other things, a podcaster, a sketchbook artist, author, and the co-founder of Sketchbook School. Sketchbook School is an online creative hub, and it's filled with courses and workshops and a thriving creative community. Danny is the author of more than a dozen books on art and creativity, including Art Before Breakfast, The Creative License, and Shut Your Monkey. This interview touches on different aspects of Danny's work, but focuses on how we can turn down the volume on the inner critic and free ourselves up to make more art. Let's listen. Danny, thank you so much for being here. It's an absolute joy and an honor. Great. Well, I'm really excited to be here as well. (laughs) This is going to be fun. Yeah, so I have known, you don't know me, but I've known you for a lot of years because I have been part of your sketchbook school. So very long time ago, 2014, you launched something called Sketchbook School, which is an online art school. And I was there from the beginning. The first class was called Beginnings. And it was an amazing joy. It had the the biggest thing that I took away from it was the community. You just had such a beautiful community feel. Bucket loads of inspiration, art making every day. And so that was my experience of Sketchbook School. But I'd love for you to tell the audience about Sketchbook School. Yes. Yeah, so I'm glad that that's your takeaway because that is the most important part. You know, we're all, particularly this year, what with the pandemic at all, we're all kind of locked in our own little boxes. But I think as artists, that's often the case. It's funny, I've spoken to a lot of my friends who are artists and illustrators, and I've said, like, how's this year been? And they all say, yeah, but basically the same as ever, you know? And I think, yeah, that's probably true. You sit at your desk or your drawing table inside, and you hardly ever see anybody. So (laughs) Sketchbook School from the beginning was about, no matter where you are, you want to find other people who are kind of on the same journey. That's the way I see it. We're all on this journey. We're going, I don't know where we're going, but we're experimenting, we're um, playing, we're doing all these things. So it's nice to have other people with you. So I think a lot of us, when we kind of get this itch to start making art again, our first impulse is, well, I should go and buy some art supplies. Right. Another one is I should buy a few books on how to draw. And another is um, I should take a class. I should take a class. So and I think we take classes primarily not to learn so much, but to be kind of in the groove, to be forced into it. Right. To be trying stuff. Exactly. Yeah. To like to have a reason to show up. And so with Sketchbook School from the beginning, what we really liked was that very first course that you took beginnings 
we would release another kind of section of that class every week. And so everybody who's taking the class in the first class are about 2000 people all taking it together. And then everybody was excited about it and they were discussing what they saw and they did their homework and they posted it. And then another week would start out and each week was a different teacher, a different, totally different topic. And that was really fun. It was really fun. It was different. I think it got people drawing and it also got them over this hump of perfectionism that we all yes. have, which is like, right. Cause you sit down and you go, I'm just not good enough or this isn't any good when you're changing things up and you're playing, you, you don't have time to worry about that stuff. You're just like, what is the next thing? Let's do the next thing. Let's do the next thing. So, so that's really was the idea from the beginning is how do we keep people moving? How do we keep people sharing and engaging and playing? And that's kind of what's been, we've been doing for eight years now. We did about 25 classes like that, courses. So, you know, about 50,000 people now have taken these classes. Um, and we've just built this community because there's a lot of people who, you know, just took one class after the other, after the other. Then they joined what was originally a Facebook group and then became our community and so on. So, yeah. So there's, <laughs> there's a lot more to the story, but maybe we'll get to that. But that's kind yeah. of the, the basic setup, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I just listened to a podcast that you did talking with Kosha, your co-founder, all about the history. And it was so fun to hear the history of Sketchbook School and to see how it evolved and how also, like you've said in the past, like put something out there and then iterate. And uh, so Sketchbook School now is very different from how it was back then. Right. And it's bursting with all sorts of workshops now. And yeah, you've gone through the process of iterating, finding what works, stitching what doesn't work. And I just love seeing what you're doing now. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's changed. Technology's evolved. Um, our familiarity with technology has changed too, right? So, so when we started in 2013, 2014, you know, a lot of people didn't have smartphones yeah. at that time, right? Um, and also... It was also the kind of the beginning of people really being familiar with video online, having having the bandwidth, having all that stuff so you can really stream a video without being, you know, stopping and starting. So that's that's kind of where we started. Um, and then uh, from there, you know, the technology evolved to the point where we could start doing big live events, which is what we've been doing now. So um, we've been doing workshops as it happened, we started to plan our workshops just before the pandemic, a couple months mm. before, which turned out to be like the perfect thing for people who are stuck at home. You suddenly could be in a big thing. Um, we're actually doing one tomorrow where uh, seven or 800 people will all gather on Saturday morning and we'll all be together and we'll all learn from an artist and we'll spend two or three hours together drawing. And th this has also led to the new thing that we're doing, which is called Spark. And Spark is a membership program because another thing that struck me as we've been evolving over time is you want to work with people over time. You don't want to just like jump in and see them briefly. And you also don't want to just comment on their work. I mean, we've all had a, that experience of like you post something on Instagram or you post on Facebook and there's some likes and there's like, oh my God, that's so good. But we want to kind of go beyond that. The and depth say, of engagement. Yeah. Right. Let's have a proper conversation that helps me to really understand what I've made, understand how I could improve it. What do you see in it that I'm missing? And a lot of times we don't have 
people around us who we can ask. You can ask, you know, your family and they might say, yeah, 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 whatever, dinner's on the table. Or they might say, um, how much money are you spending on art supplies? Yeah. Or they might say, oh my God, you're so good. You should, you should quit your job and start selling drawings in the street, whatever it is. But when you're with other people who are on the journey that we were talking about before, they know what it's like and they can say, yeah, um, speaking to you as a friend, this is what I would suggest. Mm -hmm. And, and because I know you, because I get to see you on a regular basis, uh, I see how you evolve. So, so that's what spark has become. It's become this thing where we meet literally twice a day. We have an event that people can come to and draw together. Uh, we bring in artists who do tours of their studio. They do demonstrations. It's just constant. Um, just of making stuff. So those, so the different elements that we have, the courses you can take by yourself, the workshop you can take with a giant crowd of people, or these smaller things where you, mm. you know, or with like 20, 25 people, you know, who you know. So yeah. it's, it's all helping to make more art, which is the most important thing. Lots of people yes. making lots of art. So today I want to share your story with the nature journal community my listeners are nature journalists and there's a huge crossover between what you do and what nature journalists do and mm -hmm. i'd love to explore that and so nature Great. journaling is similar to what you do we draw in a sketchbook or on a piece of paper it doesn't matter we're making art we but we are focused on nature and so it's all about closely observing being attentive to to what you're looking at and capturing observations of nature on paper using words, pictures and numbers. It's the same, but we, we are focused on nature. And I'd love especially to talk to you about art and freeing ourselves from the hang-ups about art, which is a big thing for everybody who is in any creative habit. I listened to something you said on a podcast once and you said, yeah, you threw it out there. When I was eight, I was a full-time artist. And I just love this because it's true, isn't it? Like we all were just free back then. There was n none of these hang-ups. And yeah, I'd love to talk about your beginnings. Were you, did you have creative people around you when you were young? Um, not especially, no. I mean, I, I moved a lot when I was a kid. Um, mm -hmm. And... You know, my mom became sort of creative on and off now. I mean, actually, she um, actually did stuff with leaves. She created these things called mm. leafages where she combined calligraphy and leaves. But that was only much, much later, like after she retired. When I was a kid, not really. I mean, I, I was sort of um, left to my own devices. So I wasn't encouraged. I wasn't discouraged. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had teachers who um, particularly when I was younger who were, you know, indifferent or some, you know, I had like one teacher who was kind of not, who was like very rules oriented when it came to art making. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you had to do it this way. And um, I kind of couldn't follow the rules all the time. So I got in trouble for that. Um, and then when I was in high school, I had a couple of art teachers who I liked, but you know, art making was something that I certainly felt an inclination towards, but I was terrified of being an artist. Mm. No way was I going to go down that road of starving in a garret, you know, dying of like syphilis that I had caught from my, um, <laughs> art, my model girlfriend and, 
you know, all the th- all the things that we've seen, you know, happen to the great artists in Paris in the 19th century. So, yeah, no, I was terrified of, of ruining my future by being an artist. And uh, so I studied political science and, yeah, I didn't do that at all. Um, and I came to art later on, really only in my late 30s when I, was, when I started to, to make art again. Mm. I was thinking about Jack, your son, who has watched you making art every day for his life and he grew up and he became an artist or he went to art school do you think Mm -hmm. you're normalizing art and art habit in daily life encouraged jack in that direction or was that independent of you i don't think he would like me to take credit but um... (laughs) not to take credit just to say like Uh, it normalized when you normalize something when you see role models or, or just people in your life doing yeah, something it becomes yeah. normal absolutely no i mean i i always said to him you know art, making art is fun making art is part of life and you know let's just play and make stuff yeah. um i never was clear on how that would actually turn into a job or not and that's really that's the big divide is like we start as i mean like i was talking to somebody uh, yesterday and they were saying it's time for me to get serious about my art and you know i have to figure out like you know should i be showing it this and that and i was like well, why don't you get serious about your art by just like making a lot of art <laughs> let's let's start there and see where it yeah. goes it doesn't yeah. have to be your job and i think the fact that it's jobs and money and responsibility and all that that gets wrapped up in it that is and it's not even actually that, that that happens it's the fear of that happening yes so it's like we're a long long way before we're quitting our jobs but we're still thinking about it and then you yeah. say i'm not even going to like draw a stick figure because i might have to quit my job yeah. <laughs> and get syphilis and die in a <laughs> there you go exactly. exactly it's a terrible terrible melody <laughs> Well, let's talk about fear because you have a book which I absolutely love. It's called Shut Your Monkey, How to Control Your Inner Critic and Get More Done. And this book, well, let's start from the beginning. Can you tell people what you mean by the monkey? And then also like what your monkey sounds like, what your monkey looks like? Well, the monkey, everybody has this voice. Unless the only people who don't have a voice in their head that tells them "Mm, maybe you shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that. Um, are sociopaths and psychopaths. They, they don't. They have no limiter. But the rest of us have a voice in our heads that says, "Don't do that. You'll die. Or you'll put your eye out. You'll you know don't run with scissors. All that kind of stuff." So we all have these voices. And and when it comes to being creative, those voices get particularly shrill. Those voices, right? They they're they're the voices that are saying, you know, you're no good. You have no talent. Or, you know all the consequences. And that voice is, um, is something that's actually a very important part of our survival because it's the thing that sort of protects or, or, or makes us aware of new things. Like this is new, this is unknown, don't eat that, Be uh, a don't bit go wary. near that. Right, something bad can happen. And, but the problem is that then we, you know, we're big enough to, to not eat you know, bad plants and not play, you know, not, not jump off the roof. We get old enough so we don't really need that, though, but, but it's so powerful because it's saving our lives that it's in there nonetheless and it continues to plague us. And when it comes to creative things, what is the, the, one of the key things about being an artist, being a creative person, making something new? Yes. 
right? So, so as soon as you make something new, the monkey, which is what I call that voice in your head, jumps up and is like, ah, what, what are you doing? And, and just gets in the way. So it says, don't change your life. Stay how you are. Even if you're miserable, it doesn't really matter. It's better than being dead. You it's know, safe. So stop it. yeah. Exactly. It's safe. And so, you know, where does that voice come from? You know, sometimes it's, it's maybe the voice of your parents. It may be the voice of a teacher. It may be just the voice of something that was put into us millions of years ago that saved us. But it's a problem. And I mean, my, in my voice, my voice is variable, you know, I mean, I wrote this book called shut your monkey. I didn't, it's not called kill your monkey. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. You can't really kill it, but you yes. can, you can create situations where you go, um, I have to distract you or I have to, um, sort of just, you know, mo moderate what you're saying and decide how seriously I'm going to take it. There's a lot of strategies that you can develop to allow yourself to try new things, to accept imperfection, which is another big problem that we all have. And the monkey has, the monkey wants everything to be perfect or else don't even bother. And that can stop you from even starting because you go, well, I can never do it perfectly. Yes. Yeah, yes. And I like that, what you said, it's not about killing the monkey. It's about calming him down a little bit. Giving not him something about, else to play with, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not about abolishing the inner critic. It's always going to be there. It's helped us survive, as you said. But not attending to it, tuning it down a little bit. And I love the book because it's all about tuning down the monkey by making art. Just keep going. Just make more art and then he'll be a bit more quiet. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. I mean, he'll... <laughs> I mean, I think you can distract him. You can say, um, you know, we'll judge it later. Yeah. And there's ways of saying like, yeah, 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 I hear you. No, 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 this, this is terrible what I'm doing. I know. And we'll talk about it later on. But just like, let me just finish this part. And then meanwhile, could you go over there and like audit my taxes? Or can you go over there and like worry about this other thing? And meanwhile, like, you know, I promise you this. I'm not taking this seriously. It's not, it's not important. It's not good. I'm not going to you know, go off the deep end. I have a friend and she, we were talking about the inner critic and she showed me this picture that she had painted and she said her inner critic isn't, she doesn't consider it an inner critic. She considers it this horrible, mean bully because obviously her monkey is really noisy and she showed me this picture that she'd illustrated of her bully her monster, she called it. And oh my goodness, it was this had this gleeful grin with teeth coming down and its eyes were glinting and it had this hideous like folds of skin and little wizened up hands. And I actually showed it to my young son and he screamed when he saw this little <laughs> monster. And I love that. I mean, yes, yeah, sometimes it's not, inner critic sounds like something quite civilized, right. but it, it can be really violent, this horrible voice, can't it? Absolutely. I mean, it can it can ruin your life. It can stop you from doing anything. It can cause you to be intensely depressed. It can certainly kill you, f your dreams. That it can do, right? It can stop yeah. you from saying, "Here's this thing you wanted to do," and it will, you know. And also, it means it also takes any possible criticism that's out there. This any slight, like somebody looks at you like, hmm, anything like that, and it will say, "You see." And, and turn up the volume on that. I thing. told you, I told you. Right, Everybody exactly. hates you. See, you. <laughs> exactly, you're terrible. I told you you were no good. And so suddenly it's, it's constantly looking for reinforcement of its position. And so that's why you have to look for reinforcement of your position. You know? So you have to start to say, you know what, 
I'm actually good at these things. Um, I actually have a lot of accomplishments. I'm not as hopelessly, you know, terrible at everything as you make it seem. And you can have conversations with it, but also it can be like, you know, just an annoying pest and that you don't, you don't indulge and you say, you know what, go over there and uh, do, do you know, leave me alone for now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm wondering, because I know you've done workshops with people of all ages and you have worked with young people, children about making art and I'm really interested. I know it's going to be different for everybody, but have you noticed a trend in like the age when the monkey starts waking up, when the monkey starts hassling people? Yeah, it's it's actually not different for pe different people. You are a joyous, creative person until you're about eight, nine, maybe ten. Mm -hmm. Then hormones start to kick in, and you start to become acutely aware of your peers. So mm. it's you know what we call the tweens. You start to enter that age where you're suddenly really worried about what other people think and what other people your age and what and you're constantly looking for signals that will tell you what they think of you and you know then ho hopefully by the time you're like in your late teens and you're starting to make decisions for yourself about your life you start to regain control you don't just you know just driven by by peer pressure but but yeah that that period and that's the mm. period that um you know you start to associate art making with being a baby coloring mm. in drawing you know drawing with crayons making silly paintings you know, and then in high school, like you might be like the cool kid who, or the cool weird kid, or the cool the emo kid, whatever it is, who can sort of draw. Hey, would you draw me a thing? I can have it as a tattoo, whatever. But I think you get you get to, you know, you can get a little bit of social traction with making art again. If you're the artsy one, yeah. Yeah, but it's you might still be the weirdo, and it may not you may <laughs> still be a reject because of it. But you know. It's very unusual to see kids 11, 12, 13 feeling comfortable with making stuff. I mean, mm. there are exceptions, of course, but yeah, it's, that's the tough age. And, and most of us don't come back from that. So five, six, seven, eight, universal. I mean, I go into a class with kids that age and I'll say, hey, let's draw this. I'll, and I'll, I'll come up with assignments and I'll say, okay, let's draw a hippopotamus driving a sports car while playing a banjo. <laughs> no problem. Off they go yes. and do it. You say that to Whereas anybody else. Whereas if you else, said that to adults, they'd be like, oh, no, what? Well, you could say that to a professional illustrator. They'd be like, wait, what, yeah. uh, what kind of <laughs> car, sports car? Yeah. So at that age, it's just like, fine. Let's, I mean, who cares? Let's just do it. Mm. Mm. And uh, yeah, and that's, that's what I want to be. I mean, I think, you know, Picasso wanted to be it too. It's like, that's, we want to get back to that age of just like, I don't care. I'm going to make yes. stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to create a world. You know, I remember my son like drawing armies and, you know, spaceships and all that stuff. It's like a piece of paper. It's just like your universe. You can make anything you want on it. You have control. It's really great. And as adults, we can do that too. Yeah, I was reflecting on this and I was wondering like, what would the world be if we didn't go through that phase, if the monkey didn't wake up for us? And can you imagine like there would just be so much art everywhere? There would be, but there would be like no banks and no insurance companies <laughs> no, there wouldn't be a lot there'd be a lot of things that wouldn't be so yes, yeah right. I mean yeah so it's probably better <laughs> snap out of it and get to work <laughs> well I wonder I wonder so 
there's this age, the kids start to lose that. And maybe that's just a natural phase and we need it. We're learning other things at that age. I was, I was going to ask you, like, what can we as educators do to help guide kids through this? And maybe we don't need to. Maybe it's okay just to let them take a break. I think it's hard because also what happens when you do go, when, if you do say to an 11 or 12-year-old, um, do a drawing, they'll, they really want to make it look real. Mm. They're very, and they don't necessarily have the skills to do that because when you're drawing from your imagination, it doesn't really matter. There are skills about looking and translating what you see into lines on paper that you need to some extent to be, have stuff pointed out to you, what's negative space, how does lighting work, those kinds of things. Not extensive, and there are books, like there's an amazing book called Drawing with Children by Mona Brooks, which is about breaking down what you see into um, which, almost like an alphabet of drawing. Um, so, you know, it, if you think about it, you can draw anything if you use straight lines, curved lines, circles, angles, filled in organic shapes, not filled in organic shape. So you can break it down to like, you know, half a dozen elements and then you can say, okay, let's look at this thing and let's break it down into its bits. And so it's like learning an alphabet and kids mm -hmm. at that age are, you know, they just did learn the alphabet. So they, they're, they're totally um, open to that. And they can also have really amazing results. I mean, you can teach a kid this in one session. You can take uh, a piece of reference and you can say, all right, let's, I'll show you how to break it down. We'll copy it step by step. You'll walk away with a drawing of a horse and it'll look really good. And you couldn't have done that an hour ago. And then they've got that as a thing. You know, they need to obviously keep practicing it, rehearsing, um, working on it, internalizing it, but you can make an incredible change it's it's almost like the equivalent of not being able to read and suddenly being able to read um that way i think a lot of people don't learn that way and what happens is here you are you're 40 and you sit down to draw and you haven't drawn since you were eight right and you pick up a pencil and you basically draw like yeah. you were eight yeah or may not maybe not even as good because when you were eight you were drawing all day now you haven't drawn any in 32 years you sit down you draw something it looks like a kid badly <laughs> Bad, you know, bad kid yeah. did it. And, and they say, oh, see, I have no talent. I can't, well, like, yeah, I never could draw, I can't draw. Yeah, you're right, because of course you can't, because you haven't done it for four You haven't years. drawn. It's not that you can't, you don't. Yeah, right, yeah, so, exactly. So it's like so many other skills that we can have. You just need to learn a few basic things and practice them and you'll do it. We all can. Yeah. And we all did. Yeah, we did. And there's this funny thing that happens, like adults... Maybe they forget that. Maybe they forget they were doing it as a kid. But then they say, I can't draw, I can't draw a straight line, I'm hopeless, I can't draw a stick figure. I've heard this so many times in workshops and people start to freak out when you bring out pens and watercolour. And there's this perception, it's like, are you, and people say it to people who draw, they say, are you, you have the art gene. I don't have it, I'm hopeless. Talent. Talent. Yeah, but what is this about art? Why do people think you have art talent or you don't, whereas they don't think you can pick up a violin and play it without practicing. But they do think that about art or driving. Imagine if someone said, oh, I don't drive because I just don't have the driving talent. You know, what? it doesn't make sense. What, why do people have this perception about art? Well, we know how to drive because we need to drive, right? So that's why we drive. We don't need to draw. 
Mm. You can get through your life without drawing. You need to cook, right? You need to make an omelet. You need to know some basic things about about cooking. So you do because you need to eat. Do you need to play the violin? You don't, so you don't. You know, and you look at it and you go, yeah, it's probably talent, but boy, it's really difficult. Um, and I think when it comes to drawing, there's a few things that are going on. I think um, society in general doesn't want to encourage it. And I mean, not to get too Marxist about it, but the fact is that that art is a commodity in our culture that we buy, people buy and sell. And um, its value comes from its scarcity and from the scarcity of the people who are acknowledged to do it. So, you know, they're, I mean, they're drawings and paintings itself for millions of dollars because there aren't many people who do them and there aren't many people who said they're good enough to sell for that amount. Mm. So we kind of have this culture that says art is for artists and only for really good artists and there's all these kinds of values associated with it and there's a market for it. So, so in general, our society doesn't particularly want everybody walking around drawing because then suddenly, you know, we'd have, and, and similarly with music, it's like you can, you can sing in the shower, you can maybe play, you know, I don't know, imagine all, you know, you can play, you can play songs on the guitar, some basic stuff, right? But you're not going to go and like become a musician and try and like get a recording contract. So, you know, but I think music is also of a social thing. So we maybe there's a bit more tolerance because like we all sing in church or we all sing around the campfire. So there's a bit more of that. But when it comes to art making, maybe we make art when we have little kids in the house, right? So you sit down and draw with your kid um, so there's a little bit of that, but again, it doesn't seem like something that we need to learn to do. But the reality is that if you learn some basic things about drawing, you will learn to see the world around you in a clearer way. And that that's the big difference, right? And certainly with when you're drawing nature, um, you know, if you want to, I mean, and, and I think particularly with nature drawing, because naturalists have always drawn explorers have always drawn right cartographers have always drawn doctor surgeons draw nature sense of drawing anatomy um so so we use we've always used drawing as a way of understanding um you know how the veins in a leaf are arranged uh, understanding how a tree is built um understanding a landscape those things come from drawing. And so you can do a drawing and you can keep a nature journal to record the birds that you see in your backyard, to record what the clouds look like in the sky on a particular day, you know, to record the changes of nature over the seasons. All those things are a way of slowing down and saying, let me observe this thing and understand that this leaf is different from a leaf from another tree because of how many points there are on the leaf and all those things. So with, with drawing, drawing can be a, an observation tool, not necessarily something that's going to hang in a gallery or be auctioned. We're not entering that whole world. We're yes. using it to understand. And that, when we were five, four, five, six, seven, and we were first learning to draw, that's how we were using drawing, to understand the world around us, to say, like, this is what a house looks like, this is what a dog looks like. Um, we may not be able to write yet, but we were able to translate our reality into things on the paper that we're drawing. So again, with nature, how, how else would we do it? How else would you, I mean, yeah, you could take pictures, I guess, but it wouldn't be the same. That wouldn't help you to understand it. 
Yes. Yeah, Yeah, you're absolutely right. And writing about it's one way, but there's something really deep that happens when you study it with your eyes, with your pen, when you put it on the page in that way. Yeah, people have been doing that for centuries to learn, to understand more, and you really do go deeply into that. And I love that um, you, I've heard you make the distinction between art with a big A and art with a little A, and we need to get rid of art with the big A for, for not no I don't mean that we need art with the big A it's very Put it important. down the museums <laughs> I just mean like you don't have to people who are fearing I can't start because I can't make art um, it's not about that it's about making art with a little A and that can help ease some of those fears yeah I mean one thing you can say to yourself is you know if you're a sculpt if you make sculptures you're a sculptor and if you make paintings you're a painter um, but what are you if you make drawings? It's not really a thing. It's not a job, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a draftsman, but that's not really a thing either. So you could just say to yourself, you know what? If I'm drawing, I, it can't possibly be a job. Like, I don't have to worry about that. I can just draw. I'm, I make drawings. I'm a drawing. It's not my identity. And mm-hmm. so if it's not your identity, then, you know, you don't have to be so worried about it. And you don't have to dress a certain way or color your hair. You don't have to do any of those things. You can just say... You know, I draw, it's like I play tennis. I'm not a tennis mm-hmm. player, but you know. so, yeah. So I think we can just take off some of the pressure and instead say, this is a tool to help me know my place in the universe, to understand yes. where I fit um, and what's going on around me and not walk around with my nose in my phone all the time, <laughs> you know, not be in a dream world, um, but be present, anchored in the world of nature you know, I mean, I, I've been thinking so much about it this year because I moved from living in a giant city. I still live in a giant city, but now I live, I have a garden. Mm. I used to live in an apartment building. And um, so living in a garden, I, I've been watching birds. We have so many birds here in, in Arizona. And I've been watching um, mockingbirds, doves, quails, uh, hawks, um, s- lovebirds we have we have all these birds and i can sit in the garden and i can watch there's like f- i would say 40 maybe 40 birds who are regular t- visitors to thing and i sort of sort of start to know them um i'm definitely aware of the season so all this time being locked in lockdown that's been my community is to see that and i've often thought these birds have no idea there's a pandemic going on <laughs> you know yes right they're yes. just like living their life they're just doing their thing Yes, and I, I've noticed that nature journaling as a community, as a as a thing that people do, has just skyrocketed through this period. Sure. And I think there's a bunch of reasons. I think people are, have the time, a bit more time, especially in lockdown. I also think that people need something to hang on to, and nature is always there. And I've reflected on this a bit about how there's something so safe about nature because it doesn't care about the ups and downs of our dramas. It doesn't care about a global pandemic. It's just doing its thing. The seasons are changing. The birds are coming. The birds are going. And I think there's a real safety in that. And maybe that's one of the reasons why people are coming to nature journaling at this time. I think so. I think also the pandemic has reminded us that nature's bigger than us. 
this virus is part of nature, right? Nature created it. And, you know, it's taken us a while to get a grip on it. But, but we, um, you know, we are, we've taken nature for granted, you know, and, and all the things that are going on with climate change and so forth. We, we've been ignoring nature. We haven't been supporting nature. And guess what? Nature can just, can decide. And nature can come back and say, nope, we're in charge. And so if we're oblivious to it, we're at enormous risk going back to the monkey. You know, it's like the, we need a monkey. We need the, the monkey is part of nature too. And we need to acknowledge our, our place in the universe and, and have a little bit less hubris, be a little bit more modest and say, you know what? Yeah, I, f I have to fit into this. I'm not just the king of the jungle. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you're right. It's sort of, sometimes I think of the ocean. I'm really connected with the ocean on a heart level and sometimes when I'm floating in the ocean it feels like a parent like and and I feel like it's holding you up yeah like it's holding yeah like it's holding you but also it keeps you in line you know a parent can say don't go there it's dangerous or and the and the ocean does that like you can this is the safe place this is where I'm going to protect you and if you go out of these boundaries this is where it's unsafe because the ocean can be very unsafe in in Australia, there's dangerous rips and whatnot, and it sort of checks you. This is this is the limit. This is where you're safe, and I'm going to keep you here. And I think nature can do that t to us too. Like we get too big for our boots, and nature can bring us back, like a parent, like guide you. This is where you have to be. This is the safe place. Right, and if we ignore it, which we do most of the time, yeah, um, or we sentimental <laughs> we sentimentalize it a lot. You know, and we uh, anthropomorphize it. We do all these things to try to control it, to try to control nature and to say, well, you know, we're, um, or, or we don't recognize its unpredictability too. So there are all these things that happen that because we're disconnected. You know, I started blogging in 2003. And the reason I started blogging was actually because of nature journaling. Because I had a friend, Richard Bell, who is, uh, you know, does this blog called Wild Yorkshire. Yes, yes. So, you know, Richard, I really loved Richard's blog. And he said to me, why don't you just do a blog? And I said, uh, so I started my blog, the very first few posts that I wrote were for one person, it was for Richard, mm -hmm. because he was the only person I knew, who might even be vaguely interested. So I was just sort of started writing um, for that, because what he was doing with his blog, what was so interesting was, it was a journal, of course, because it's a it's a blog but so much of it was about like the, I just saw this in my garden or I've noticed this pattern or now I'm going to focus on this particular plant and he was he did so much work and still does just on this little tiny garden and I went to Yorkshire to visit him oh, I was like cool. wait a minute this this garden is like four square feet like this is what this thing is where you've been pulling all these stories out oh you wow know, it was yeah it was really amazing it's not it wasn't like some sort of massive thing. It was very small and he would, but he, he was such an, is such an astute observer of what's going on there because a lot of it, cause he draws um, and he, and he can draw so many different kinds of things so beautifully. And, um, you know, and he made me stop and think, and I, I did a fair amount of sort of nature drawing when I was with him, but, um, yeah, it's, it's so easy to get disconnected, but it's also so fascinating to get reconnected to it. And I think about, there's a, 
There's a book I have um, that was written in the 20s. I'm trying to remember the name of it right now, but it's a fishing diary Mm. um, that this woman kept. This woman kept where she she would go fishing in Scotland, I think it was, and she had this book that was like a log book that you use for fishing, you know, where you write down what I caught and so forth. But while she was fishing, she would do watercolors um, and drawings of the fish that she caught and also just of the nature around it. Mm. Um, Muriel Foster. Muriel Foster. And they reproduced that book. comes in a little box. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's it's a total reproduction of that thing. And it's the it's this one book that she kept over 30 or 40 years of fishing. And again, it was the same thing where I thought she's really, like I hadn't, like I just didn't even realize that the, there were this many fish or that they looked so beautiful or that you could do this yeah. many different things with them. Yeah, so that kind of thing, it's like, it's like nature is all there and you can live your life and never notice it. And then if you stop and you suddenly say, there's so much to see and engage with and record and analyze and track, uh, it's fascinating and drawing is just the best tool for doing that. Yes, and it's an infinite rabbit hole like you can just go into it like you say in one small section of garden in yorkshire it can give you 40 50 60 years a lifetime of fascinating discovery i love that so much yeah or by by contrast lewis and clark so you know lewis and clark the explorers right so so lewis did i think it was lewis might have been clark but i think it was lewis he did these really amazing illustrated journals as they were traveling across Mm. america going you know, uh, from east to west and going to places that nobody had ever been before. And similarly, like his drawings are just fascinating. And he, I'm sure, would never have thought of himself as an artist. It was just like in the 19th century, that was like a standard thing. You'd, people just knew how to, to do it. You didn't think about that. And so it's just, if you have a chance, just Google them. There's just amazing drawings of things, that species that he found that had never been seen before and stuff like that. It was really cool. Mm, that is cool. So I came to nature journaling years ago through a really difficult period in my life. I was very, very unwell, going through a whole lot of stuff physically and emotionally. And it was really important to me. It was the best thing that I could have found because it focused me. It calmed me during this time. It just calmed my whole body and it gave me a focus. And I know that you started drawing again in your late 30s during a really difficult tragedy in your life and your family and I wonder if you're able to speak a little about how art has been something that's helped you through the intensity of challenges in life yeah absolutely um I'm like a lot of creative people I live in my head mm. you know I live in my head a lot and when particularly when difficult things happen and the future is unclear it's easy to live in your head Right? Mm. It's easy to say, I'm going to make up what I think is going to happen mm. and work through all these terrible scenarios. So one day after looking for lots, I was basically trying to find the meaning of life in various forms. And I f- sort of stumbled into drawing. I just had this impulse to draw something. And it was at the interior of my medicine cabinet. Mm. And um, what I found was that it, helped me to get out of my head it helped me to realize that when I draw like I'm actually here like this is actually happening I'm actually here yeah. um, and so I can get 
through this by drawing. And um, it's funny, at the beginning of the pandemic, for a long time, my wife and I were here. We, we got stranded out in Arizona. We live in New York. We, got, we went away for a long weekend and got stuck out here. And when we were here, like, there was a point where we started to, we had this thing ab about the simulation. I think it's like a reasonably calm, common thing that people have had during the pandemic where you think, is this whole thing a simulation? Like we were on a, we thought, did the plane crash that we were in and like we we're actually like brains in a lab somewhere and they're <laughs> feeding us this experience because we're in this backyard and there are birds, but there are no people. So, and we mm. kept thinking about it as this computer simulation, <laughs> not seriously, but sort of seriously. Mm -mm. But I found that like sitting and drawing birds, drawing the, two pomegranate trees I have, drawing, um, you know, clouds, stars, all those kinds of things helps me to realize like this is, n this is not a simulation. This is, you don't have to constantly obsess with what's going to happen. Is the world mm -hmm. over? Are we just, are we all ruined? You can say, let me just be like that bird. And it's a beautiful day mm. and let me enjoy it and let me be present here now. Does it matter if I did a great drawing of the bird? Of course not. It's not. It's it's a the the act of drawing. It's drawing. It's it's a gerund, right? It's a present activity. Drawing. You're here in the present. You're mm. drawing. You're doing this process. You're being here now. You're engaged with this thing. You're seeing it. You're feeling it. You're being anchored, and that helped me to get out of living in my head for that time. That's, yes. That's really its purpose. Yeah, for me. Yeah, I think it's super relevant now during the pandemic. People are seeing tragedy everywhere. Life is changing. It's easy, like you say, to live in your head and also forget that you're actually here because we can get so intensely in our heads that it becomes our reality. And for me, back then when I was going through a whole lot of stuff and a lot, a lot of anxiety, I tried, you know, people say, try meditating. And for me, that was the worst thing to do because I was so you're close inside to your head. You're inside your head. That was super scary and super unhelpful because it intensified all my problems. But drawing, it was like mindfulness, but a back, back door into mindfulness, if that makes sense. Like I was completely present and yet I wasn't having to confront any like gaping void of like, I don't know, <laughs> meditation when you're in an intense sort of anxious uh, period in your life can be really scary. And so it was like mindfulness, but in a roundabout way. And I think that's what you're describing as well, like just anchoring in the present moment yeah. in, a, in a simple way. I mean, there's a book that I read early on when I first started to draw by uh, an author named Frederick Frank. Uh, F-R-E-N-C-K. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I right. love this book. The Zen of Seeing. It's the Zen of Seeing, exactly. So the Zen of Seeing, um, Frederick Frank was, um, he was actually a doc, he worked with, with Dr. Albert Schweitzer in Africa. So, you know, he was, he was, he, but he was a German doctor, I think. Anyway, so Frederick Frank, um, I took a workshop. I've hardly t ever taken any workshops, but for some reason I was just so obsessed with Frederick Frank um, <laughs> that I, that I, because his books are all handwritten. They're all in the kind of yellowish paper with brown ink and these, these drawings that are kind of weird and spidery, mm. certain kind of aspect of these drawings that are kind of strange. And um, he was really old at that time, so he wasn't teaching workshops anymore, but he had acolytes that went out and taught the sort of Zen of seeing kinds of things. And this uh, woman who's teaching the thing, she said, 
let's start by um, you could either draw a leaf or you could draw the lines on your hand. So you just start tracing the lines on your hand, and you like really, really as close as you can possibly be to them. Like here's a line, and then it, there's another little tiny line that comes off it, and then it crosses another line, and you just start. I mean, if you start drawing the lines on your hand, you could spend like half an hour doing it, right? Same with the leaves, the veins on a leaf. Mm. Find and see the smallest thing you can possibly see, and recognize that it's not like they're perfect Y's that come off another one. They're not. They're all slightly different. They're all, and just get into that, move, and move into that thing mm. of seeing these lines and reproducing them. And then it's like I can't draw. Well, that's nothing to do with drawing, right? It's just doing this thing, doing this exercise, and you see intensely. So yeah. Yes. That's a beautiful book worth checking out. I'll link that in the show notes. Please do. But yeah, I love what you said. It's not about drawing. It's about doing drawing. Um, And maybe that's where it is. Maybe that's where the distinction. I think we get really hung up on these labels, like even drawing has its own weight, you know. Uh, Certainly the, the word artist has a weight, you know. I had this real big hang up for so long about saying that I'm an artist and and I don't think we even have to say that um but it's partly because of sketchbook school that I am able to say that and I'll tell you the reason why so I had um never called myself an artist I've been making artwork for a really long time but never ever used that word for myself um and even I was recalling something that happened I went to a poetry book launch the poet was there reading from his poetry book and I bought the book and I was really excited to meet the poet. I went up to him and I said, can you sign my book? And he said, sure, I can. Do you have a pen? And I searched around in my bag and I pulled out one of those woodless graphite pencils that you use um, in, I think I was using it for life drawing classes at that time. And he said, oh, you're an artist. And I, I panicked. I was like, no, uh, no, no, no. I make art, but no, I'm not an artist. And my mum was there and she grabbed me behind my neck and she said, yes, she's an artist. She makes beautiful stuff. And that I just remember that because I panicked. It was like, no, do, uh, this label like was felt really heavy. And, <laughs> and then, um, but the thing that pushed me over to be able to say that or think that about myself was sketchbook school because I remember I started your classes and at that at that time I was really unwell I was sort of had my own um confinement my own you know pandemic in my in my house I was stuck there um but I had this community and I had this amazing opening to art and I had my stuff out on my kitchen table and every day I would go there, every day I was watching videos and every day I was making stuff. And I had art supplies just completely covering the entire table and I was making stuff every day, I was filling up journals. And I remember at that time, 2014, I looked at that table completely covered with stuff, completely covered with, you know, art. And I thought, oh gee, maybe that, maybe that I am an artist, maybe I can say that. And I don't think we need to say that, but that was the point when I thought, yeah, like if you're making art every day, you're living it, art is coming out of your pen, like when, when can you say that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, people say, well, when people are buying your stuff and you have a gallery and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, 
I mean, th in that case, Van Gogh wasn't an artist, and I don't think anybody would say that, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think, or or, or don't, you know? Or I don't, mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel comfortable saying it either. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, in fact, did an episode of my podcast where I had an interview with my mother. Yes, um, I listened to this, so cool. <laughs> yeah, my and mother. And she was saying, no, no, no one should say this unless you're uh, yeah, selling. You, you don't say, no, she said you don't say that about yourself Other okay yeah. say it about you yeah you can yeah, say you're yeah. a painter yeah but don't say you're an art being it's, it's like saying you're a genius you know, who are yeah yeah okay but that's you know obviously we have different mothers <laughs> and um then you had another guest on and she was like everyone should call themselves an artist and right. she said if you're walking down the street and you feel like art's coming out of you you're an artist you know she was just the opposite way and that was that's cool too it's true <laughs> call yourself whatever you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, because it's, it's not really about your label. It's about your actions, you know? Yes. Um, it's like if you want to be a writer, then write stuff. Write stuff, yeah. Be a, if you want to be a chef, then cook stuff, you know? It's like just, it's what you do, not what you're called. Yeah. So you do this thing on Thursdays, and it's called Draw With Me, and you sit with people whoever wants to turn up and you do live drawing sessions online and you have lots of creative ways to spend time making art and it's loose and it's free and it's silly and I'd love for you to talk about it yeah so I do it on YouTube um, and I, I, it sort of started because my original idea was sometimes I feel like drawing like what if I just was on YouTube when I was doing it that was kind of the original idea it's 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 become much more elaborate since then. But basically, it's at, at the very least, let's draw for 45 minutes once a week. Like, that's not that big of a deal. Just come, watch this thing. Let's draw together. I'll give you something to make. It'll be, you know, maybe good or bad, whatever you do. But we'll spend 45 minutes doing this thing. Why not? What else you got to do? So that's really the idea. And it's always, you know, I try to come up with different things that it is. Um, and I try to tell jokes while we're doing it. So that's, it's meant to be as, um, just a reminder that you can do it again, going back to your seven, you're sitting at the kitchen table, your mom is cooking dinner, or you've got crayons, you know, let's just hang out. Yes. My favorite was when you sketched your self portrait blindfolded. That was genius. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a really fun thing, which is like. Can you, um, you know, how, a lot of what I'm trying to do is to say, let's break your expectations. Let's give you an excuse for making something dreadful. Yeah. Because if I, because it's like drawing yourself blindfolded, like, of course it's going to be terrible. <laughs> so when you're doing it, you're not like, oh my God, what are people going to think of this? You're just like, well, this is going to suck. And then you take your blindfold yeah. off and you say, whoa. That looks really that's groovy. Actually, yeah. Actually, that actually is really interesting. And so, you know, what are the things that you can do to do that to yourself? So these, so you just, again, taking off the nonsense that you bring to it, taking yes. off the excuses, um, the expectations, the perfectionism, all that stuff, and just saying, you know what, just do it. And if you do this on a regular basis, then maybe you, then you can maybe bring in your, your judgment because you've gotten to a place where maybe it's worth judging. But mm -hmm. right now, 
make, you know, do the drawing equivalent of making a, you know, a, a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> Just do it. It'll be fun. It'll taste good. You wouldn't open a restaurant with grilled cheese sandwiches. You don't have to be a four-star grilled cheese sandwich chef. You can just be a guy who made a grilled cheese sandwich and ate it. This is the drawing equivalent of grilled cheese. And who doesn't <laughs> like grilled cheese, yeah? <laughs> I'm wondering, because you're now connecting in a different way, connecting um, with people on Zoom, you're doing live things, and I'm wondering, I have found, especially starting this podcast after the pandemic, I've found a whole lot of deep connection through this, through through the computer screen, and I'm wondering about your feeling of making connections with people across the world. I know that you sort of did that with uh, Kosha, your partner in Sketch was cool, like it was um, before the pandemic, of course, but this way that we can actually build something really significant virtually because we are in our own places, but we have this technology for connecting. Yeah, I mean, this podcast, you and I are having a conversation. We're on opposite sides of the planet. Yeah. And you're listening to this through your headphones. And what are you doing right now? Are you in the supermarket? Are you drawing? Are you walking your dog? What are you doing? It's just the three of us. We're here together, you know, in your ears. We're all talking. We're having this conversation. Um, and so we're using this technology. It's not about the technology. It's about the human connection. Yes. Connection. And we're able to have a conversation that, honestly, if the three of us were in a coffee shop together, maybe we could have that at a table, maybe. But if we don't really know each other that well, how are we going to start this conversation? And, you know, life gets in the way. We don't really have the right to. So it's in a weird way, it's a private thing. It's a social thing. It's a technology thing. It's all these different things together. So we're able to connect with each other. And also, if you look around you as you listen to this podcast, probably nobody around here around you right now is interested in this conversation you're interested in it you're still listening 58 minutes or so into this conversation you're still listening <laughs> hopefully um you know so it's like we're able to find people who share yeah this very niche interest with us and mm. care a lot about this when most people don't and how would we have ever found each other otherwise we never would have except for these ones and zeros flowing through the air yeah, you're totally right. It's about finding your people. And I think that's why Sketchbook School is so wonderful because you do, you find your people, you know, you find the people right. who love the same things and that's why it's so joyous. Yeah, it's a tribe of broken misfit toys, yeah. <laughs> no, no. I think, I mean, as I've, I've met so many people who at first you think, well, we would have nothing in common, mm. right? And then you find that we have drawing in common and then you start to find out what else we have in common. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that way that we're able to be a united network um, with no agenda. Mm. We're not trying to do anything. We're just trying to support each other in doing this, being on this journey. Mm. I think what I take away from all your books and all your courses is that art can, can be and should be fun and that art making is a practice that can and should go with you through your whole life like it's not a place you get to it's a tool for making life better and i i just thank you for that danny it's just an amazing thing that you're putting out there just freeing people up and allowing play to happen through art it's yeah it's doesn't it's not an, it's not an opportunity to make yourself feel bad yeah it's not a judgment it's not like you know, you're no good or you should have done more of this or why have you neglected this? It's not about that. 
It's about just do this thing that you like. Eat a grilled cheese sandwich. Have, you know, enjoy it. Have fun. Do it. Maybe you'll be really good at it. Maybe you won't. But just keep doing it. It'll change. It's an adventure. There's so many aspects of it. You mm. go into an art supply store, there's so many things you could buy and play with. And any one of them has an infinite number of permutations and combinations as all the others. And then you take something like nature and you say, look at how rich and varied nature is, how much there is to learn about it, how fascinating and fulfilling it is and how you can spend your whole life watching birds or watching the seasons change. It never gets old. It's always different. And most people don't notice it. You're special. You're special because you're paying attention and your life is enriched by it. And, you know, you're making connections with other people who happen to yeah. notice it too. How awesome is that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Danny, thank you so much. It's been an amazing conversation. It's such a joy to chat with you. Thank you. It was really nice to talk to you too. And um, I also wanted to say if anybody would like to try out sketch something at sketchbook school. Um, you know, one thing that I can give you is, uh, to try out the spark, this thing that I've yes, talked about wow. before. Yeah. So, so, um, I'm going to set up a special thing. We'll just call it, we'll call it nature podcast. So if you go to sketchbookschool.com slash nature podcast, let's make it one word. And if you do that, you can try out spark for a week for free and Beautiful. see if you like it. Yeah. See if you like it, try it out. So go there and, You'll learn more about what this is. You can, you know, um, sign up for it. There's also lots of other things that I do that you can, if you want to listen to my podcast, if you want to read my essays, whatever, there's stuff like that you can find out at dannygregory.com. So. Yes, fantastic. That's, that's so generous. Thank you. And I'll leave uh, links to all your stuff in the show notes and we can get people crossing over <laughs> you know the nature journal community i'm sure a lot of my listeners have already um been to sketchbook school or certainly know about you um but we will get some crossing over happening so thank you so much danny that's really sure generous. I'd, yeah i'd love to see you all and uh we're getting ready to do a plein air workshop in a couple of weeks so we're going to be doing watercolors in nature in colorado so oh fantastic. sign up you can come and see that yeah that would be cool Beautiful. Thank you so much. This has been a really, really nice way to spend the afternoon. So we'll see you again soon. Perfect. Thanks, Danny. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Danny Gregory. I love the way he approaches creativity. It's free. It's all about the process and not the product. It's full of humor and silliness and it really asks us to take ourselves and our art a little less seriously and just play, let go of fears and let go of worries. And I think this is exactly what we all need to do. I've put links to Danny's website, his books, his podcasts and all that good stuff in the show notes for this episode. I've also put the link that Danny created just for us, which is sketchbookschool.com forward slash nature podcast. And this link will allow you to sign up and try out Spark for a week for free to see what you think. I should mention that the school in Sketchbook School is spelt with a K because it's not your normal kind of school. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.